How good is Australia? This fucking language. Let there be a thousand blossoms blooms for a But I ain't spending any time on it. Don't stop wearing the Speedos. You're listening to Decode, the Tudor Advocates' new podcast series for those Australians who have tuned out or never tuned in to the dark arts of federal politics. It's cold bean. You wouldn't believe it. A goddamn bloody adult. Hello and thanks for tuning in to Decode, the Batuta Advocates' new political podcast series. I'm Metal Hussey. And I'm Effie Bateman. We're back at it to run through a part of our political process that people don't often slow down to explain. Today we're decoding and breaking down one element of politics that always seems to be in the news, opinion polls. The polls, as they are referred to, seem to generate news stories week on week, with media types and politicians referring things like two-party preferred, approval ratings, preferred prime minister, and so on. Yeah, it's a recurring topic in our media cycle, and one that the average punter is supposed to just pretend they understand, when in reality, very few of us understand how the fuck it all works. Just like the rest of federal politics, we get this stuff shoveled in front of us and are told to take it very seriously, even if we don't know what it means. Now, if you're a listener and you only get your news from Rupert Murdoch, the reports and opinion polls might actually be the only time all week that you hear Anthony Albanese's name. But not a week goes by where we don't seem to see headlines about opinion polls and what they mean. Put simply, they're just surveys that aim to provide a snapshot of how people are feeling about our politicians, their parties and their policies. Normally they come from polling between 1,000 and 2,000 people who are supposed to be a cross-section of our society. But you might ask, who are these people and how do we know that the polls are actually reflective of our society? Do they just ring up 1,500 boomers on landlines and ask them what's going on? Well, they operate off something called the statistical average, which is the term used to describe the broad selection of people they want to survey. Given I'm a young rural third grader who's only visited Brisbane twice in my lifetime, that's a term that's actually quite lost on me. But from what I understand, from a bit of reading, these pollsters, as they are known, they try and encompass all of society in the sample size of the residents. So they try and get your anti-vaxxer auntie, your 20-year-old apprentice nephew, your big shot brother's overachieving ex-girlfriend, and the quiet gay guy at work. Then they ask those people the questions they've got, and it gets crunched down into the percentages that you see in the news. Currently, those questions have led them to these current poll numbers. Labor is leading the coalition 56% to 44% in the two-party preferred poll for who people want in government. So that's the main one that pops up in the headlines and news bulletins, along with the preferred prime minister result, which includes the leaders of the two major parties and people who are uncommitted, like my ex-boyfriend. Uncommitted being the people who don't know who they prefer or don't prefer anybody. A donkey vote or an independent vote in the polls. You're better off without him, Effie. So right now, according to News Poll, which is the most well-known opinion poll out there, Scott Morrison is ahead of Anthony Albanese, 43% to 41%, in who people want as Prime Minister, which is where the uncommitted people come in. 43 and 41 makes 84%. That's to my very basic maths knowledge. Quick maths. Quick maths. So uh, you've got 16% of people polled who aren't committed to backing either leader, which is a fair chunk of people. And yeah, given the amount of shit that's happened to Scott Morrison over the last couple of years, it tells you how highly people think of Albanese. 
Yeah, that's it. And you can see where the independents and United Australia Party and Greens all come into it as well. Those uncommitted people are probably going to be the people who vote for them at the election. Now, there are four main polls that get attention. All of them ask those questions we've just mentioned. And there are a couple that chuck up a few other questions on different topical issues or things like approval rating, like how satisfied you are with Scott Morrison's performance as Prime Minister. Real yes, no questions on things like that. And it's interesting to note who conducts these polls. So News Poll, which is probably the most well-known, is owned by Rupert Murdoch and is published in The Australian. But the polls are run by an external company, so it's supposed to be more balanced than its reporting. Wouldn't be too hard. Then you've got the Guardian Essential poll, which is run by Essential Research and paired up with, you guessed it, The Guardian. So again, you'd assume it's a bit more balanced than The Guardian's reporting, more inclined to talk to someone outside of Melbourne or Sydney's inner city, maybe. And then you've got RPM, who are linked up with the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age in Melbourne. And finally, Roy Morgan, who are more of your market research kind of firm, they cut their teeth in asking people how many times they've had a Turkish delight in the last month, which I must say is an absolutely foul chocolate and should not be part of those party tins. Rough. I don't mind that in the favourites box. I think it's quite an underrated flavour combo, a bit like a seafood sensation and avocado on the footlong sub I've got waiting for me back in the newsroom. Anyway, I'll try not to divide people too much, but those are the main players in opinion polling in Australia. Just touch on now, there's also a fair bit of debate around the merits of opinion polls and the weight given to these polls by the media and our politicians. Yes, so former Liberal Prime Minister Tony Abbott was rolled by Malcolm Turnbull after losing 30 news polls in a row. The one thing that is clear about our current situation is the trajectory. We have lost 30 news polls in a row. It is clear that the people have made up their mind about Mr Abbott's leadership. Malcolm then chalked up a heap of similarly unimpressive polls himself, which led to him also getting rolled by our current Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. I mean, I regret making those remarks at the time, making the remarks about 30 news polls at the time. Uh, and, but what I promised to do was to provide economic leadership and traditional cabinet government, and I've done both. Although that wasn't given explicitly as a reason for the leadership spill. They just thought it was time, apparently. Yes, but you know, you can read between the red and blue lines when these highly paid public servants start fearing for their jobs and politics. Yeah, and it's the same on the other side of Parliament as well. In the Labor corner, there were the knifings of Kevin Rudd and Julia Gillard, which also had a lot to do with the polls. They were rolled by people in the party who were so scared of losing their seats and the perks that come with them that they got spooked and caused leadership spills as well. That constant change of leadership, which made even more people tune out of politics, led to a lot of people saying that the politicians are actually governed by the polls themselves. Yeah, and they're out all the time providing feedback on issues and the performance of our politicians. So it's an interesting balancing act that you could argue hasn't been straddled very well. Now, as my old man would say, politicians should get on with their actual fucking jobs. Well, good luck with that one, Dad. Anyway, right now, as it stands, the opinion polls are predicting an Australian Labor Party victory at the next election. But that is also what they predicted at the last election, and we know how that one went. And they were predicting the same thing at the previous New South Wales election, which was only marginally off, but was also still wrong. That, when paired with Donald Trump's presidential win and Brexit, has a lot of people asking, are these polls reliable, or are we better off using the age-old gauge of voter sentiment by asking the cabbie, 
what he reckons is going to happen. Which is why we've got a guest hopping on the show to explain opinion polls and tell us whether they fix the system. Or we can expect to be surprised again on election night. Now, our guest today is Dr. Rebecca Huntley, and she has slid into the Desert Rock FM studios just now. She's here to break down opinion polls for us. Thanks for coming in, Rebecca. So happy to be here. Yes, Rebecca is an Australian author and researcher on social trends. She has a big CV with plenty of degrees and qualifications, but one of the most relevant ones for our chat today is that for nearly nine years, she was a director of the Mind and Mood Report, Australia's longest-running social trends report. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Uh, well, it was just, it was fantastic. I nearly did it for 10 years. So we would just go, me and my team would travel Australia, sit in people's lounge rooms, or sheds or workplaces or I once did it in a McDonald's. Ooh. Once did it in a biker shed in the middle of the um you know <laughs> in the middle Bikies. of the field in a biker shed and I thought yeah. am I gonna get out alive? And basically <laughs> sit with groups of people who knew each other very well and you'd just say, What's on your mind? So it was a really good way. It's almost the the antithesis of a poll which asks you a very specific question and yes or no, we would just kind of have the conversation. But also during that time when I was at Ipsos, uh, we did a lot of political polling and um, I actually did my PhD on political polling and since then I've worked for a lot of research agencies that do polling as well. So what I'm a, what's called a quali, which is like it's all about talking and listening, focus groups, the kind mm. of, you know, dreaded focus groups. Um, but I also do a lot of quantitative research, so numbers, which is hilarious to would be hilarious to my maths teacher who I gave up maths in right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> But really? I learned a lot about statistics <laughs> in 20 years of research. All those yeah. years on All came good with the numbers. So mm. there you go. I'm sure she'd be very proud. All right. Well, um, polls have been around in my lifetime. We've had plenty of polls growing up in terms of Australian Idol, Big Brother, KFC, Classic <laughs> Catches and the Cricket Curry. <laughs> Texting um, in for that yeah. Ricky Point well, screamer. Look, look, look very um, robust methodologies yeah. all there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah keep going. Um, but when and how did political opinion polls start becoming prevalent in Australia and what are they used for? It's uh, a really good point. Um, so, look, we probably adopted a lot of the methodologies coming out of the United States. And, I mean, in many ways we came to political polling relatively late. Um, but political parties started being able to afford proper polling probably in the 50s and 60s and then really by the 70s it was being used a lot both qualitative research and quantitative research at that stage and you know I'm probably I'm 50 this year so I'm probably double your age in those days people had one phone (laughs) and the and and you had things called a white pages and all the rest of it and people would pick up the phone and they would almost always not slam the phone down, you know. There was all, and and often people would go basically door to door and ask mm. people questions. Mm. So really, so probably polling agencies that people would know very well, things like Gallup, um, Roy Morgan would do that kind of work. And obviously, there's been massive changes to how people, yeah. not only just technology, but how people feel about giving their opinion and taking their and having them being asked their opinion, taking it seriously. Mm. Um, so, and it was look. Thing. It was very much done by big corporations and political parties that could afford it. This kind of idea that that brands or agencies or even individuals would somehow think that it was important to get people's opinion about something mm. and broadcast it. It was very much kept. Do you understand what I mean? Very much kept. Mm. Secret squirrel. So it wasn't as much of like a public service thing. It was more about these parties doing the no. research to try and get information on where they need no. to kind of exactly. lead the party. Yeah, okay. That's exactly right. Remember too that when polling started in Australia, 
we basically had two major political parties. We did. We've always had minor parties in Australia, but mm. we haven't had the the minor parties in the seventies were just not quite what they are now. Mm. Right? You yes. didn't have your Clive Palmers, you didn't have your established Green parties, and you didn't have your Independents in the same way. You also had a very high what we call base vote, mm. like core vote of the Labor and Liberal Party, and. The thing about Australia at that time, I mean, the most dramatic things that would happen is things like, you know, what happened with um, Gough Whitlam, you'd have something like that. Please explain. So here we've got no context, Pauline, again, to explain something. So we're going to touch on this in future episodes, but what she was talking about is if you aren't familiar with it, when Labor Prime Minister Gough Whitlam was booted in 1975 by the Governor-General, the Queen's representative in Australia. The TLDR on this one is it was a big, big deal at the time. The Prime Minister getting kicked out, and you might have heard this famous quote about it. Well, may we say, God save the Queen. Because nothing will save the Governor-General. Anyway, back to it. So, you know, so there were occasional surprises in Australian politics. Mm. But I remember once when I was doing, when I did my PhD in Australian politics, somebody said that, you know, Australian politics was basically extraordinarily boring. (laughs) (laughs) Extraordinarily boring for a very, very long time, right? Because you did have, you know, especially in the post-war period, there really wasn't, you know, if you were working class and you lived in certain areas, you voted Labor. And if you were upper class and, you know, particularly religious, you voted Liberal. Now, that all started to break down in the 80s and now we know we're all over the shop. Mm. That makes polling so much harder when you have a lower base vote, lots of independence, a a kind of a quick media cycle, and also you have everybody, KFC, everybody being able to poll people. Mm. You could even poll people through your Twitter and your Instagram. And so it's a, look, it's the wild west. used in group chats. Yes. What night are we doing this? What's yeah. happening here? So <laughs> Absolutely get some right. money on Facebook Absolutely all right. the time. Yeah, it, it is much less of a two-horse race. I mean, it still is a two-horse race <laughs> in terms of the two major parties, but it is much less now with all of the different things going on. But for context, what would you say are some of the uh, some of the more notable occasions where polls have got it wrong, sometimes very wrong, mm-hmm. or some of the bigger blow-ups that we've seen in regards to opinion polls? Yeah, it's a, look, it's a really good point. So, look, overall, and this is not me, you know, trying to defend my industry too much. Look, overall, for a long time, Australian polling largely got it right. Mm-hmm. To remember, too, that that one of the difficulties in Australia is that you can't always know what's going to happen in individual electorates, right? And at the moment, what we've got is a very, very finely balanced parliament, right? Mm. The government doesn't hold the lower house by 25 seats, right? So I think for a long time, federal politics is going to be, there's always going to be a handful of seats in it. So really, what polling can only really do well at scale is the percentage, you know, the overall Australia and also what's happening in states, right? So for a long time, Australian polling largely got it right within the margin of error. And I can talk about the margin of error in a minute because, you know, the more finely balanced elections are the heart, and the, the more there is an issue with the margin of error. And that's because of people flip-flopping around and swing votes and, it, and that sort of And it's because of the sample. Yeah. It's because okay. of the sample. It's because right. of the sample. I've never, ever, ever done research where there isn't a margin of error. But if you're doing a piece of research for a company that says, wants to put out a new chocolate biscuit, and you say, you know, 92% of people are going to love this biscuit, if it ends up that 89% of people love the biscuit, <laughs> you st- nobody yeah. cares, right? Yeah, yeah, the biscuit yeah, yeah. Is- 
But if you say, you know, the current government is going to win by this percentage and they're short 2% and that's all. Do you understand what I mean? That yes, is why. It makes a fair difference. It makes a huge difference. And what we don't have and what I talked about before is we have a much more volatile political environment. So somebody like Clive Palmer can run a candidate in every single seat with literally no intention that any of them will win, but it could have an extraordinary effect on what happens in those electorates. <laughs> Please explain. Uh, so jumping in here because of the way preferences work. Yeah, in each electorate, there might be a Labor candidate, a Liberal candidate, a United Australia one, a One Nation candidate, a Green, and a couple of Independents. And then the 100% of the votes is spread around like a pinata at a kid's birthday party. But like we saw in Squid Game, you can only have one winner. So the votes have to get peeled off to certain sides until we finally raise the hand of the victor. So Labor and Liberals usually clean up the most, so the Greens' preference all give their votes to Labor. One Nation and the United Australia Party gives theirs to the Coalition. So when Rebecca says Clive Palmer has an extraordinary effect... It means that the UAP essentially takes votes off Labor and gives them to the coalition. Yeah, it played a big role in the last federal election, particularly with the electorates in Queensland. There's arguments around Clive losing, but actually winning in the long run anyway, because he got a much, much more minerals and resources friendly federal government, so it was worth all that money he spent. We'll talk a little bit more about this down the track when we do an episode explaining preferences and how all that works. But for now, back to Rebecca. You have something like independent candidates like Zali Stegall in the last election and a whole slew of ones in the next election that may or may not win. So we've got all these curveballs which make Mm. things a bit harder to determine. But what happened for a long time in Australia and why the polls were largely right was not because we were much, much better at the methodology than other countries where there had been this problem. It's because, and I love this about Australian democracy, we turn out to vote. We have now one of the most complete electoral rolls ever. Thanks very much to the same-sex marriage survey bullshit that we had to go through. Yeah. So we've got a we've got a whole lot of young people that are often quite hard to get on the electoral yep. roll. There, the other extraordinary thing about Australians is they tend to vote formally, right? So we have a complete electoral roll. We have reasonably good turnout at the federal level. It kind of starts to decrease at the at the state level, and it's a shambles at the <laughs> local government level. But people at the state level, people are on the roll. People turn up and largely, if you look at the AEC data, largely vote formally. And for those people who are, you know, don't know what that means, not we haven't had an increase of people doodling penises yes. on there like, or <laughs> writing, when it happens, having been a scrutiny or, or writing, I don't care, or deliberately throwing away their vote or not knowing how to vote. And did that used to be a thing? Because I always I hear people talking voting. about the donkey, yeah. yeah, but I kind of... You've never scrutinied in an election? No. And I, always... I don't think I know anyone who has either. I mean, yeah, but they probably wouldn't admit it though. Yeah, true. So there's a couple of things that have happened and and it's actually, I mean, this is really for the political nerds, but I am fascinated at informal voting and what people do because, you know, in Australia we don't have to vote but we have to turn up. Nobody sits over you and asks you to mark the ballot. Just have to get your name ticked off. You have to get your name ticked off and you put a piece of paper. Now, as a scrutineer, I've seen blank pieces of paper where people literally don't know who to vote for and and I've seen people write things that upset them. Asylum seekers, Tampa. I reckon we'll get a few vaccine na- yeah, mandates. It might be yeah. horrible. There, I have seen plenty of good penis doodle in my time on an electorate. Plenty, <laughs> really intricate ever, ones. Plenty. Were you ever really impressed by a penis doodle? Were you like that is no, very you know, it's they're, they're quite no, it's it's kind of the political version of a dick pic. It's kind yeah. of like. 
delete. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, okay, fine. You know, it's like, okay, I don't know. I know that you're upset or excited, but I really don't care. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just going to register that and get rid of it. And then sometimes, you know, it is clear that somebody doesn't quite know what they're doing. And, of course, what happens when you're scrutineering is you're making an argument, you can make an argument about whether the 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 vote is valid or not. Like how can we absolutely be sure that they've done what they want to do right mm. on that ballot? And, of course, if you've got an electorate like, um, I mean, some of the electorates around Australia, you know, you're held by 60 or 70 votes. It really does matter, yeah. right? So they get recounted. So that does happen. So just to go back, what, what we had in this country for a very long time and what we still have, complete electoral roll, people turn up, not a massive increase in informal voting, a slight increase. So what we do have and what's buffered us is that when we poll the Australian community properly to say, what do you think you're going to do? We don't have a problem with those people turning out. Now, if you live in the United States or you live in a, if you live in anywhere else where voting is compulsory, what you have to do with polling is very tricky. It's called a turnout algorithm. I'm in no way an expert in this, but what you have to do is you say, look, if we're going to have a presidential race, will the people that turned out, are we mm. polling the people who actually vote? Now, of course, one of the problems with the Brexit vote is some people voted who hadn't voted for a very long time. And so that threw that off. Threw that off, right? And again, it does, all it has to be is two or three percentage of people who didn't vote before. It's a spanner in the works. So, in a sense, in Australia, we had the same structural problems with polling that happened all around the world. So, problems with sample, problems of people responding, changes in in, in the whole way politics and political allegiance works. So what we happen, what we were buffered for that for a while because we, yep. I think, because we've so got we don't really know good turnout. Maybe we don't have. Yeah, well, yeah, I think this, but maybe I'll turn out on election exactly. day. Exactly, out there and they vote. What you happen? What often happens is people will say, "Oh yeah, I like her," and then they won't vote, mm. or I'll vote for them, but they don't actually vote, or I'll vote for him, and previously there have been somebody who hasn't voted, but suddenly they will. So yeah. that's been the challenge. But the structural problems of voting, and 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 they're not easy to fix that kind of hit with Brexit, that hit with the the Hillary-Trump yep. poll. And Remember, Hillary got a lot more votes overall yeah, than yeah, Trump. He just won in areas where they thought, oh, we always win there. Yeah. Mm. Oh, God. I think a lot <laughs> of people are almost like, oh, I'll just see what happens if I put his, you know, you know, bit of chaos. Yeah, I mean, look, one of the things that people say to me is, you know, when they're being polled, do they feel like they have to say, if they say, will you vote for Donald Trump, for example, do they feel like they need to virtue signal and say that they won't even though they want to? Mm. Mm. That's a bit rubbish, first of all, because first of all, it's very rarely a person anymore that speaks over the phone. Yeah. And as somebody who has, who makes a living out of asking people's opinions, I can guarantee you that people generally will say all kinds of things to you. Like yeah. nobody's, there is no imagined public audience. And most of the time, these polls are on a phone. So if somebody really likes yes. Scott Morrison or if somebody really thinks Peter Dutton should be the Prime Minister, they're going to say that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they don't have the hesitation of being judged or whatever. It's, it's different even, than yeah. if you're at a if you're at the pub and people mm. go and are kind of, you know, bagging Scott Morrison and you're like, okay, I'm just going to have a drink yeah. silently and not say anything because <laughs> I really want my friend. I don't want my friends to think I'm that person. doesn't happen. It, yeah, look, it yeah. can happen in focus groups and it's really can be really difficult to work that out. It takes time. One of the great things about Zoom, real weirdly, is that people feel more confident saying stuff on a computer than they do in a room with people. 
Fair enough. Well, People feel press, more confident. They can just press the end button and yeah. walk out of the conversation. Well, they just—it's weird. It's this kind of flat There's thing, and I don't know. There's something about it. Yep. And people feel more comfortable. Comfortable. I found out not wearing clothes in a focus group <laughs> <laughs> on Zoom than they do in real life. But anyway, so that's kind of the, the some of the things that have protected Australian polling. But in 2019, that was very much something like it. All of this expectation that that. Um, Bill Shorten was going to win and it didn't happen, you know. Yes. And so that was the kind of, you know, polling fail that's led to quite a lot of media commentary and quite a lot of stuff that we're doing in the polling industry to try and um, improve both the perception that we're doing a good job as well as the actually doing a good, yeah, doing yeah, a good yeah. job. Yeah, there are a lot of pale faces on election night as they uh, yeah. uh, people yeah. uh, people in the Labor Party particularly started realising what was going on. Obviously, a lot of jubilation on the other side. Yeah. What has happened to try and correct that sort of stuff in terms of the methodologies yeah. is there a lot yeah. of change in methodology obviously millennials like Effie and myself you know we don't like answering we phone won't calls answer the door and we won't don't answer, answer the door don't answer phone yeah. calls yeah yeah, yeah. Why so would obviously, you? yeah 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 why would you yeah, okay. happy to fill surveys so what are we what are we looking at now in terms of methodology yeah it's interesting so look for a long time a lot of there was a there was a bit of a reliance was well, different kinds of ways you can do polls the ways that we used to do it was over the phone. It's still the most reliable way to use it. So we're talking about methodologies, but I'm going to talk also about sample. Like who is being, who are the people who are miss, we are missing out in that conversation? Who aren't in that conversation? And how do we have that conversation? Previously, it all used to be over a phone. So you would make sure that a person would ensure that the other person would understand the question mm. and they'd register it properly. That is now proving extremely expensive. So almost all of it is online and it's weighted. There's something called robopolls. Have you ever heard of that? No. Yeah, a lot of interest in robopolls because they're cheap. But robopolls are like basically an automated thing, which is like, hi, you are a, you are a voter in the seat of Warringah. <laughs> Who will you be voting for? Yeah, at and the people next think they're going to jail. Federal that, election. Yeah. <laughs> robo caller that tells you that you owe money. Yeah, yeah no, you're no, going no. to jail That's if you don't get. Can oh. you imagine being asked a political question yeah. about them? And if it's a complicated question, you've got to press buttons and all the rest of it. So you get large samples in robo polls. So yeah. robo polls are often very, um, look, very, very misleading because you look and you think, oh, they've just surveyed 1,200 people in electorate. That's a really big sample. But if it's a robo poll, I've seen robo polls with a margin of error of 15, 16, 17%, in which mm. case you think, this is excellent to line a kitty little tray. It is not a piece <laughs> of paper that people I would People rushing ever... out to get iTunes gift cards. No, no, no. I would not be doing that. <laughs> so, look, most of the time it's online. And so really it often depends on, it, look, it largely depends on the nature of the question and what the industry has done since then is pretty much everybody that's involved in polling have formed something called the Australian Polling Council and all of our methodologies for external polling, anything that's public, you can see all the questions. You can see how many people, you can see the sample, it's all transparent. So that's a big part of it is kind of getting people to see how many people we talked to and uh -huh. how that was weighted and the exact questions we asked. And so that's a bit of a regulator, that isn't is that, Council, yeah, to make so sure that, you know, if someone rolls yeah. in after a big weekend and yeah. they're, you know, a little bit hungover and they kind of, <laughs> they've got to get a certain, a certain number of people polled in a that's certain exactly time. Right. That, and, and you, you can look at that and, and I think part of it is particularly for the media to realise, well, what are these polls? Are they, mm. you know, to really understand and educate themselves about how much they're going to kind of invest in the outcomes of these polls? Yeah, the outcome of the 2019 federal election came as a huge, huge shock to a lot of people who'd been following the polls. What was the fallout from that? Yeah, so look, it's always, it was fascinating to me being a researcher, just look how much people expect you 
to be able to tell them what's going to happen. And after 2019, and I had been doing some, so I'd had my, I had my twin girls. They were just, they were quite young. I was doing other work and I wasn't kind of doing quite the amount of qualitative research. So I don't think I was quite as tapped in and I was thinking, oh, well, the polls generally show that. And also the other thing that we do and the mistake I made, well, I made two big mistakes. The first is I completely and totally discounted the hundreds of negative comments sometimes spontaneously made about Bill Shorten. I just thought, oh, well, you know, Australians don't like politicians and yeah, they voted, yeah, for, yeah. voted for Tony Abbott. But actually Australian Electoral Survey, and if anybody really wants to look at a kind of gold standard longitudinal study on how Australians feel about politics, it's been going for 30 years. It comes out of the Australian National University. It's got a brilliant team of researchers. They do a massive sample after every federal election and it's kind of like an incredible report card on what happened. It's been going for 30 years and Bill Shorten, has, the only person in 30 years of research that's been more unpopular than Bill Shorten was Andrew Peacock in 1990. Mm. Yeah, before which was, our time, but incredibly unpopular. Which, was, yeah. again, I mean, I was 18 in 1990. Mm. So, and you thought, and I think it's one of those things, and you learn a lot in this, in this, is that as the Australian community, as, as the base vote for the two major parties sinks, as we have a more volatile, more fractured political environment, you're right, it really is a two-horse race, not in terms of politics, but in terms of government, Yeah, right? It's a multi-horse race in terms of politics. But at the moment, only really two political parties can can rule, even in minority government. And the end for disengaged, not very interested um, voters who are looking at politics at the side of their eye, the only thing that matters is how they feel about the leader. Looking at the approval ratings of Scott Morrison, it seems he went over the handlebars in terms of the graph, the way the graph went yeah. around Hawaii yeah. and then picked back up again. And then he seems to have gone over again in terms of the recent handling That's of the exactly pandemic right. over the last yeah. couple of months. Will that be, it's obviously very hard to predict, but is that something that's going to even out over time or? Yeah, look, I mean, and again, I'm just using my past experience of how the community feel about leaders to judge the future, which is not always wise, but. I think what was really clear is that the fires made some people cranky at the Prime Minister, but when COVID hit, they're like, oh, you know, he's he's doing a good job. And actually the fire stuff kind of basically for most people dissipated. It's like, oh, he's learned his job and everything. And then when the second wave happened, they're like, oh, no, he's still that guy. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, oh, maybe. And then they were like, oh, maybe it's no, he's still that guy. You know what I mean? There's only only so many times you can can confirm your negatives with people that your positives are forgotten. Mm. Mm -hmm. So that's the problem. And what's the pathway of redemption out for him at this stage when he's really struggling to get just any kind of clear air to land a strong economic narrative with the people that decide elections, which is about where the people to keep debt low and keep people working and small business and all the rest of it, not the, this high this, you know, high spending, high taxing government that haven't told you much and Bill Shorten's still in the caucus, that kind of thing. Mm. So the more that you are struggling to deal with text messages and Brittany Higgins and all the rest of it, the harder it is that you get that kind of you get that space the and polls time might keep nose diving that approval right. rating, yeah. And we're a while away from a budget, which might mean doling out bits of money. So it's kind of it's really tricky. It's a, the pathway for him for personal redemption is really difficult. And of course, the more curries he cooks on Facebook, I think the, the hairdressing worse it is. <laughs> the hairdressing really helps. 
Did it help you? No, no, no. <laughs> no, no I know I can it hear helped us. No, it no, helped exactly. Us. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Even my 13-year-old was like, oh, my what God. And also, but she's like, but is that, she says, is that, is that what prime ministers do, like, with their time? It's like, <laughs> like the, it's like the kissing like babies thing, you know? Like, it's well, that almost I a caricature. Yeah. That, I, mean, I, can, I mean, I don't think you should kiss a baby, but, I, I mean, I think you should kind of, like, I understand kind of interacting with people, but... As you might not know, we both have hair, like, you know. <laughs> a little I mean, bit of a mop I've going on. I've been with my hairdresser longer than I've been. I, it's the lo- one of the longest relationships yeah. I've ever had. So you wouldn't let a, <laughs> I mean, a middle-aged man get in there? Is he going to Brazilian soon? I mean, <laughs> can you imagine? Oh, Leg up. But I had that thing when I looked at that, I thought, did he walk into his office one day and he said, boys, because there would be boys yeah. in that room, what are women like? They like their hair. They like going they like to the hair, hairdresser. Yeah. Right. We're going to go. <laughs> Soon we'll be at a nail salon, you know, said. gossiping and doing our nails. Yeah. yeah. I want <laughs> – I well, and look, in, in that, it look, should we be getting Barnaby Joyce to give people pap smears? Should we yeah. – how far can we go with this? I, I just had a visual of that and it, it was It awful. was upsetting? It was really upsetting. I'm upset. <laughs> <laughs> We are in full blind campaign right. mode. Um, <laughs> one of the last ask me things, another question that yeah, makes me the, sound smart. One of, the, <laughs> one of the last things I wanted to ask you about yeah. is we've got four main opinion polls that we see yeah. reference, and yeah. obviously there's a Guardian, which is from the yeah. Guardian. Yeah. Um, the biggest one that always can kind of get referenced is news poll, which yeah. is done by yeah. the Australian or it gets published in mm-hmm. the Australian. Mm-hmm. A lot of people. Uh, again, in our generation, uh, may not have as much trust for publications put out by Rupert Murdoch yeah. as before. Yeah. There's a lot of people who might not say that it's completely unbiased yeah. and factual. In terms of them running polls, is there any distrust there or is it yeah. because they're regulated and because they're given out to an external company or there's people overseeing yeah. it, is it Basically, these things are done with the best intentions, and there is nothing to be skeptical. Nothing to be skeptical yeah. of in regards to Rupert Murdoch running polls. Yeah. Okay. So, the three quick things. The first thing is media agencies, whether it's Rupert Murdoch or not, just don't have a whole lot of money to run research anymore, right? And that's not to say that the polls aren't good, but they mm. don't have huge amount of resources to do uh, like huge samples. That being said, the news poll that they run is also run by the agency for commercial purposes. So they're never going to run a bad poll. Yes. Right? Because if they run a bad poll for Rupert Murdoch's papers, they're going to piss off their other paying clients because their other paying clients are the ones that pay for the research largely, yeah. right? And, and news then they poll, lose trust and they're gone. They lose trust. Now, actually, if you see the last news poll, it was extraordinarily good for the Labor Party. In fact, part of me was like, oh, if that part of me was like, <laughs> I actually don't know if I quite think that that's what mm. I think that might be just registering just the level of antipathy after this Christmas. Like, remember, Australians have been robbed of doing what they of their birthright, which is getting smashed and reading bad literature on the beach now for yeah. four, how many years? Like, Black sun, black yeah, the black fires. It goes on and yeah. on, right? And I know what happens when you get between Australians and trashy literature and alcohol. <laughs> yeah. It's not pretty, right? So I think that's what that poll registered. So they shouldn't be suspicious of news poll because of Rupert Murdoch. What they should be, what I think listeners to this podcast and anybody who's even just a kind of a a casual casual interest in politics is. What journalists put, what spin do they put on mm. <laughs> the mm. poll itself? Because the polling numbers 
almost mean nothing. Even to me as a researcher, if you put a, a poll in front of me, I'd be like, there's more questions to this than answers. What was the last one? What was the last one? What, what else is happening at the same time? Yeah. There's only one poll that counts at the end of the exactly. day, every three and a half yeah. or four years. So look, really, really good good journos and the Australian used to have a couple. One of them was George Megalogenis, who I worked with very very closely, and you know, Laura Tingle, a whole lot of good journalists look at the polling, talk to other researchers like me. They see what's happening more broadly and they bring all of this bit, this data in to, to get a sense of, well, what's actually happening? And they build a thoughtful picture out of that and that's what you want. And so I wouldn't prime facey be suspicious of news poll because they, the agency that do that, want to do good research, but how the Australian might spin it at any one time yeah, or any okay. one so the, person within the, data the Australian. The itself should be pretty no, reliable. Exactly. Just what happens with it from there yeah. in terms of the government exactly. using it and media using it. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that is uh, probably all I've got here in front of me. Mm. Effie, anything else from you? Um, no, I'm all good. It's a comprehen- comprehensive uh, yeah. handle we co- on we polls. Covered, we covered a lot of topics today. Yeah. 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 Always happy and to. And happy to leave you with the Barnaby Joyce oh, giving your pap smear image. Do you ever need to as distract I drift, yourself? As I drift off to yeah, sleep that's tonight. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Very pleasant indeed. All right. Thank you, Dr. Rebecca Huntley, for thank jumping you. in the booth with us and sorting us out. Uh, lots of fun. Learn a lot about polls yeah. and we'll be keeping an eye on them over the next little while. Thanks, guys. And that is the end of our episode this week. That was Decoding Opinion Polls. Thanks very much for Dr. Rebecca Huntley for jumping in there and running us through how those opinion polls work, some of the finer details there. We hope you learn a bit. I certainly did. But we'll be back again in a few days' time with an interview with a notable Nationals politician. Clancy and Errol will be bringing that one to you on Monday, so stay tuned for that. And we'll have another breakdown coming up a few days after that as well. So we'll be talking to you soon. Until then, I'm Wendell Hussey. I'm Matthew Bateman. Bye-bye.